Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. I'm going to start just by reading the passage that we're meditating on this morning. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Tapping into the true source of faith is what we're talking about this morning. And, and really behind tapping into the true source of faith is this. How do we build a faith that endures? Uh, a lot of times in a church like ours, which is a, a very outreach-oriented church, we, we love to introduce people to a relationship with Christ. We may not talk so much about how do you build a persevering faith. And that's exactly what we want to talk about this morning because I believe that that is a, a key habit that all of us needs to develop is um, how we can do things and, and, and uh, point our attention, as the passage just encouraged us to, to the true source of faith, Jesus Christ, so that our faith endures until we die. And then, as the Bible promises, we receive the crown of life. We'll come back to that passage in a few moments, actually. I want to um, tell you about a young man named Nick. One of Nick's favorite passages is a passage I put in your crosswalk notes this morning. It's a passage from James chapter 1. And the first part of that passage goes like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You know that one of the things that may hinder us from building an enduring and persevering faith is the fact that we every day have to face pains and hurts and struggles. Those can easily become st- stumbling blocks to our faith. They can become things that, uh, that pull us down and make us wonder whether or not we should keep on keeping on in our Christian faith. Satan will throw some of those obstacles our way, some of those hurts and pains. The sinful world that we live in will throw obstacles our way. Um, our own sinful flesh We'll, we'll put obstacles in the path of our faith. And, uh, and so James is a great book to read in those cases uh, because it tells us that there is a purpose behind our struggles. And then that purpose is very much about building a persevering and enduring faith. Back to Nick. Here's this young man named Nick. And he's going through some of those struggles in his life. In fact, they're pretty intense for this young man. I'm going to quote you some of Nick's thoughts. Nick's a real guy. And uh, first of all, I want to read to you a quote about how his personal struggles, Nick's personal struggles, were even affecting his parents. Nick says, Understandably, my parents had strong concern and evident fears of what kind of life I'd be able to lead. First big hurdle was for my parents to be at peace and trusting God that he was in control. It took a number of months for them, months of tears, questions, and grief. 
before they, my parents, were able to come to terms with their own hearts. So Nick's troubles were affecting his parents. Nick's troubles were also affecting his time at school. Nick was a student. He says, it was in my early years of school where I encountered uncomfortable times of feeling rejected, weird, and bullied. I knew that I was different, but on the inside, I was just like everyone else. There were many times when I felt so low that I wouldn't go to school just so that I wouldn't have to face all the negative attention I was getting. And finally, all these obstacles that were being placed in Nick's way were causing him to struggle within his own heart and mind. And here's what Nick says about that. There were times when I felt depressed and angry because I couldn't change the way I was. And I couldn't blame anyone else for the matter either. I went to Sunday school and I learned that God loves us all and that he cares for you. I understand that love to a point as a child, but I didn't understand that if God loved me, why did he make me like this? Any of you ever felt like that? Ever been through some times where you've said, why did God give me this set of circumstances? Why did he make me like this? Why are these obstacles in my life? Obstacles that cause me to struggle, cause me to struggle in my work environment, my school environment, things that just even worry my, my folks about my life. In fact, it got so bad for Nick that he considered at one point ending his life. This is what he says. I felt like I was a burden to those around me. And the sooner I go, the better it'll be for everyone. I wanted to end my pain and end my life at a young age. Some of us have been there in very discouraging moments. And that's why we have to talk about not only building a faith, but building a faith that endures a faith that perseveres. And you know what? What's really neat about the story of Nick is that God helped him build that kind of faith. I want to quote you some quotes from what Nick says now. The quotes that I read you before were from a few years ago. Here's what Nick says now. Due to my emotional struggles I had experienced with bullying and self-esteem and loneliness, God has implanted a passion of sharing my story and experiences to help others cope with whatever challenges might come into their lives. And I, I know that God will help, help me help them turn it into a blessing. To encourage and to inspire others to live to their fullest potential and not let anything get in the way of accomplishing their hopes and dreams. That's my hope and my dream. Isn't that awesome? From wanting literally to end his life to saying, now with God's help, I can help others to weather the storms. Nick goes on, as I grew older, God continued to prepare my heart and teach me. He says, I came across Romans 8.28. Remember 8.28 from Romans? For I know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, for those who've been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of his children. And he also came across James 1, 3, and 4. And he said, these verses spoke to my heart and convicted me to the point where I know that there's no such thing as luck. No such thing as chance or coincidence that these bad things happen in our lives. Now pull out your crosswalk notes. If you'll pull those out, I want to, um, to have you... Um, Circle some things with me. And now I've lost my crosswalk notes. There they are. 
Take a look at James 1, 2, and 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does God put obstacles in our lives and tests and times when we're just hurting so bad that we might think about ending it? James answers that question, doesn't he? So that you can be mature and complete. God knows that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. He wants your faith to be a mature faith, meaning a a strong faith, one that's deeply rooted. The storms of life are not going to come along and blow your faith down. You're going to be complete in the sense that not only are your roots going deep, the roots of your faith, but your branches are growing tall and high and producing complete amounts of fruit. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the parable that Jesus told about the different types of soil. And and, and each of the first three types of soil, there were problems. Worries and concerns were like weeds choking out the faith. Different things were like stones. And, and, and he said there's one like, um, like the seed falling on a path where Satan comes and plucks people's faith away. That's not the kind of faith that anyone, uh, any one of us wants to have. We want to have a persevering and enduring faith that is, as James says, mature and complete. And that's what leads us back to the book of Hebrews, the passage that we're studying this morning. And I put the very first verse down for you because it it gives us a very important thing that we need to do says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us do you know do you see there what he says is a key to running with perseverance the race of faith Throw off the sin that so easily entangles. You know and I know that sin can be like a mess in our lives. And it does entangle us. First, the temptation to sin, right? Satan is constantly putting things in our life saying, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And things that we know well from God's word that that we shouldn't be going there. We shouldn't be going that direction. And yet we feel entangled by it like we're pulled into that sin. The temptation to sin entangles us. The actual acting out of sin entangles us. You've been there and I've been there where you, you act on your sin. And the moment that you do the thing that you know God would not want you to do, what happens in your heart? If you're anything like me, it's what was I thinking? And then you're kicking yourself. And you're, you're beginning to wonder, who's going to find out that I did that? How am I going to keep it hidden? How am I going to cover up the fact that I did something so awful? And all of a sudden you're entangled in all that mess. And then there's a third thing that entangles us about sin. One that can last a long time. And that is the guilt and the shame of our sins. There, there are a lot of us that have committed sin that though that's a sin we committed a long time ago, maybe a decade ago, two decades ago, three decades ago, 
And still today, we're carrying the baggage of that sin around going, I'm so ashamed. I'm so guilty for what I did. You see how sin, whether it's temptation or the act of sin or, or, or carrying the guilt and shame of sin can so easily entangle a heart? And, and, and do you know what the author of the book of Hebrews is saying? He's saying, throw it off. And I, I made up a little acrostic that is a way for us to throw it off. So I, wanted, I want you to take the, a place on, the, on your crosswalk notes and I want you to write the word throw in a column. T-H-R-O-W. We do that? What does it mean practically in your everyday life to throw off the sin that entangles? Well, first it means take out the garbage of your sin and your guilt and your worry every day. Confess it to God. Let God know that you're sorry for the sins that you've committed. Take out the garbage, the spiritual garbage every day. H, hold on to God's promises of forgiveness and strength. When you take that garbage out, you need to take it out in the spirit of God has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. His blood and his righteousness have paid the price of my sins. I have his promises of grace and forgiveness and strength to avoid future sin. Hold on to God's promises. R, reach out to other Christians, other followers of Christ. You know why that's so important? Because often, even though we can read the words in the Bible about God's grace, it it is huge sometimes to be able to talk about something that you've done that you feel ashamed of with another Christian and have that Christian look you right in the eyes and say, you know what? God's mercy is big enough to cover that. His grace covers your guilt and your sin. You're forgiven. That's what the Bible promises us. Reach out. Reach out to other Christ followers. Oh, Obey God in the strength he gives. Once you're untangled from a sin by confessing it and receiving God's promise of forgiveness, reaching out to other Christians, you don't want to quickly get entangled again in another sin, although we all do day by day. Ask God to give you strength to obey him. Obey God in the strength he gives. And finally, W, worship God daily for giving you peace and strength. And grace and forgiveness. Honor him in your thoughts, in your words. Turn that Christian radio station on real loud and sing praise to God as you drive down the road. Worship God in in everything that you do. God promises to bless that. So that's how you throw off the sin that so easily entangles on a day-to-day practical basis. So here's our first point. Point number one is God wants you to have a firm faith. And the first step to that is throwing off that, that sin that so easily entangles. I think we all need to hear a little bit about the original recipients of this letter, the Hebrews that we're studying this morning. I think it's real important for us to go back and learn what they were going through because I think that'll make these passages so much more meaningful. What was happening was, this is in the 60s, approximately, A.D. And you know that the, the Apostle Paul and the other apostles had spread the Christian message throughout the Roman Empire. And, uh, of course, the capital of the Roman Empire was Rome itself. And in Rome had gathered a number of congregations that were made up 
both of Gentile, that is non-Jewish Christians, Roman citizens and so forth, but also there was a pretty good representation of Christians who had been former Jews. And so from the Roman Empire's perspective, Christians were not really any different from Jews. And the Jewish religion was a protected and legal religion in the Roman Empire. Not every religion was. But in the 60s, along came a new emperor whose name was Nero. Now, Nero wanted to immortalize himself, as many of the emperors did. One of the great ways that all of the emperors could immortalize themselves was was by putting on a huge building project in the city of Rome. They loved to build these huge, magnificent buildings. You know that because many of those buildings are, are still there today if you visit Rome. Nero had a plan in his mind to build some of his magnificent new buildings in a certain sector of the city that was reserved for poor people. It was kind of a ramshackle part of Rome. Nero knew that he would become extremely unpopular if he would just go in there and bulldoze that area so that he could build his fancy buildings. And though we can't say for certain, it's believed by many historians today that Nero secretly sent arsons into that area of the city to light fires and create this huge conflagration that ended up destroying the part of the city where he wanted to put his new buildings. Now, what happened was there were some people already in Nero's day who suspected this. And underneath the surface, though it was dangerous, they began to say, Nero did this because he wanted to build his buildings and he knew that it would be politically incorrect if he just bulldozed this area. And these rumors began to grow and grow and grow, and dissatisfaction with Nero began to grow, and word reached back to Nero. Do you know what Nero's strategy for answering the problem was? He said, I've got to deflect the blame somehow to somebody else. And he had heard about this sect of the Jews called the Christians. And what he did was, he decided to make the Christians now separate from the Jews and, and issue a command that the Christians were the ones that had actually started the fires and they needed to be dealt with. And he succeeded. One of the first most powerful Roman persecutions against the Christians began in Rome. Christians were rounded up. They were arrested. Uh, they were put in prison. Their property was confiscated. At one point in, the, in this persecution, the Christians actually had pitch and tar, some of them poured over them, and they were lit on fire so that they could become torches. And, uh, and others were fed to wild dogs. I mean, this is how bad it got for the Christians. Now, as you can well imagine, some of the Christians, the ones who had previously been followers of the Messiah as Jews, started to ask themselves, what were we thinking when we became Christians? Now you can see the tie-in to building an enduring and persevering faith. Because as they began to face these persecutions and these hardships and actually even be asked, are you willing to pay for your faith even with your life? 
it began to raise some pretty serious questions in some of their minds. And actually what happened, we know from history, is that some of those Jewish Christians began to slip back into Judaism, back to temple worship and uh, following the, the, the dictates of their Jewish religion. And in fact, that's exactly why this book of the Hebrews was written. Because it was written to those Christians who were under persecution, who were backsliding away from their faith to say, check yourself. Are you really ready to give up Christ because of persecution? And that's the same question each and every one of us has to ask ourselves today, isn't it? Now, we have it easy compared to those guys in Rome today. But many of you as young people, when you were confirmed into the Christian faith, many of you as adults of this congregation who stood here and confirmed your Christian faith before the Lord, you made a promise that even if your faith in Christ would cost you your life, you would stand firm in your faith. Are you still there? Are you still ready to say, you know, even if this means persecution to be a Christ follower, even if it means trouble, as the Bible says, even if it means sword, am I ready to cling to Christ no matter what comes, even at the cost of my life? It's a tough question. I don't know that any of us knows exactly what we might do if we were faced with the question that these Hebrew Christians were faced with. But I think we all need to think about it. I think we all need to be asking ourselves today, if it would ever happen to me that I would have to give up my life to remain a Christian, where would I stand? How enduring, how persevering, how firm is my faith? And that's really um, what leads us to some of the passages that I have on the crosswalk notes. Take a look at Psalm 25:15 that I put on the top of the second page there. The psalmist writes, My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. You know, when, when we're faced even with the lighter troubles that we face today, not the, not the uh, death-defying troubles that the Hebrews were facing. You know what the answer to building an enduring faith is? Christ. You and I, we can't generate that kind of faith in our hearts, that faith that is firm and endures. As the psalmist says, if we want to have an enduring faith, that comes from our eyes being ever, ever on the Lord. Only he can release our feet from the snare. And, and actually, the writer to the Hebrews in this passage that we're studying this morning, doesn't he say the very same thing in verse 2? Let us fix our eyes on whom? Jesus. Why? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. If your faith were a book, who wrote that book? If your faith were a book, who's the final editor that makes sure that the manuscript is perfect before it goes to publication? Normally, that's two different people, isn't it? But not with your faith. 
Jesus is the author of your faith, and he's also the final editor, the perfecter of your faith. Fix your eyes on him, and that's where you're going to get the strength to find an enduring and persevering faith. Notice what it says. Jesus is a great example for us. For the joy set before him, he endured for you, even the cross. He scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm reminded of a story that I heard about a a man named John. Uh, John was a a devout believer, a a Christ follower, but he was struggling with a particular sin. And one day he came to the Lord with that sin, and he said, Lord, I, I don't know what to do. I can't escape this sin. So the Lord, in a vision, answered John. And uh, he said, John, there's a huge boulder out in the forest in the woods behind your house. I want you to follow that path behind your house, go into the woods, find that huge boulder, and I want you to push on that boulder as hard as you can. So John, he's kind of a little puzzled by what the Lord's answer is, but he, he knows it's the Lord's answer, so he goes out, finds the path behind his house, walks into the woods, finds this huge boulder, and he's pushing on that boulder pushing with all his might. And he pushes and pushes and pushes for hours. From early in the morning, finally it gets dark. The boulder doesn't budge even a little bit. But John's a very determined guy. So he goes home, gets some rest, gets a meal. The very next morning he's out there and he's pushing on that boulder. And one day follows another. And John is pushing and pushing and pushing. And finally, just like any of us, After all that pushing on that boulder, John gets discouraged and he gives up and he falls down on his knees. And he says, Lord, I've been pushing on this boulder for for days and I cannot get it to move, not even the littlest bit. What do you want me to do, Lord? And the Lord came back to John in a vision. And the Lord said, John, think back. What did I ask you to do? Did I ask you to move the boulder? Or did I ask you to push on the boulder? John said, Lord, you're right. You never asked me to move the boulder. You just asked me to keep pushing on the boulder. Do you have some boulders in your life? Might be a sin or a temptation. Might be a, a, a guilt or a shame that you feel from a sin long ago. Might be a, a problem with someone at work or someone at home. It's just this massive boulder in your life. And you're pushing and pushing and pushing and trying to move that boulder and you just can't move it. Right? And you get discouraged. And you're wondering, how can my faith endure? as I try to keep pushing this boulder and it's not moving. God has the same answer for you that he has for John. It's not up to you to move the boulder. There's only one who can move the boulder. You know who that is, don't you? It's not you. God alone moves the boulders in our lives. But does God want you to keep pushing against the boulder? Oh yeah, he does. You know why? Not to move it, to strengthen you. To make your faith more enduring, more persevering, he wants you to keep 
pushing on the boulder. He'll move it when he's ready, if he decides to move it. And by the way, he may decide to leave it there for the rest of your life. That's his decision. But keep pushing. That leads us to our second point for this morning. Not only does God want you to have a firm faith, God also wants you to have a focused faith. One that constantly, like John, looks back to him and says, Jesus, you're the author of my faith. Jesus, you're the perfecter of my faith. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. Last point. In the book of Hebrews, we meet a group of Christians that were truly suffering from persecution, some of them to the point of death. In that young man, Nick, we met a young man in today's world that was going through, obviously, some pretty tough stuff in his life, stuff that was troubling his parents, stuff that was creating issues in his own heart. And and we're just like that. But one of the things, one of the habits that we can develop that will help us keep our faith enduring and persevering when we're facing these obstacles and troubles is the final point that that the writer to the Hebrews makes this morning. And I want to read verse 3 to you. Let's go back to verse 3. Verse 3 says this, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You see where we're constantly reminded in this passage to tap into the true source of faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. It says here, consider him, it says. And that's a key point here, is that God constantly wants us, Jesus wants us constantly to keep going back to him. And when we keep going back to him, it's going to take away some of that fear that we have about those obstacles and those problems and those troubles that we have in our faith. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, it's one of my favorite passages in the, in the whole Bible because it gives us the final reminder of what happens when we do focus on Christ. Focusing on Christ also helps us, and here's the third point, it helps us focus on the finish line. Do you realize that your struggles and your problems and what you're facing in life that there is a finish line to it. And as you cross that finish line, there's a crown waiting for you, a reward waiting for you. Not a reward that you earn. We know that, right? Because it's a gift from Christ. But it's a reward nevertheless. And, and that's what I love about Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, because it reminds us there's a finish line to this race of life. And beyond the finish line, a crown. Take a look at it. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Now, a moment I said focusing on Jesus helps you focus on the crown. Why is that? Well, the author of the Hebrews reminds us why that is, because Jesus himself did the same thing. He focused on the crown, the throne that was waiting to him. And when we look at him, we now see him on that throne. Look at what it says in verse 2. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus never lost sight as he went through his life, met the struggles that he met, never lost sight not only of the love that he had for us, which led him to those sufferings. He also never lost sight of the love of his heavenly father who was holding out a throne for him to sit on when he would die and when he would rise again. You know, the Christian message would be nothing without that throne. The Christian message, even the Apostle Paul says, would be nothing without the resurrection that comes before the throne. If Jesus had only died, it wouldn't be enough. But Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God in control of all of our lives and of this world, as the Bible tells us, for the good of the church. And we can have that same faith in our Heavenly Father. It's the same Heavenly Father for Jesus as it is for us. The Heavenly Father that says, the reason I sent my Son to suffer and to rise again is so that you could have the crown of life at the end of your race. That's our third point, and one that's so important for us to, uh, to never forget. God wants you to have a finished faith, a faith that gets across that finish line. And finished in this sense, too, polished up, hard and shiny, so that it is, it is enduring. And the way you get that finished faith is through the struggles of life. Remember Nick? I told you a little bit about Nick earlier. And I think there wouldn't be possibly a better way to finish this message today than to actually show you Nick. I want you to see Nick and see his struggles and the things that he has to meet in life. And I want you to hear about his enduring faith that he gets from focusing on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of his faith, from his tapping into the true source of faith. Isn't it awesome to see how God, the author and perfecter of our faith, can truly build a faith that endures through most anything? And if that video doesn't teach you that, I, I'm not sure what, what can. Christ's blood is so powerful. It forgives all our sins. It strengthens our faith. It gives us eternal life as a free gift. And it gives us power to build an enduring faith in this life. Don't ever forget to look to Jesus every day of your life. He is the author and perfecter of Nick's faith and your faith too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've sent your son Jesus to shed his blood on the cross for us. Lord, we come to you day, today just confessing that there are, are times when we get discouraged in life, when the, the obstacles and the suffering and the pain kind of overwhelm us. And we look to people like Nick and we wonder, how can he do it? Or we, we look to those early Hebrew Christians who endured through heavy persecution, some of them even at the cost of their own life, and then we look at our own troubles. Sometimes, Lord, they seem tiny compared to that. And yet, we still find ourselves 
feeling frustrated and discouraged. And so, Lord, today before we leave this room, we just confess to you our worries and our frustrations and our, and our lack of faith. And we ask you to forgive us. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we know that you strengthen faith and that as the author and perfecter of our faith, we need to look only to you to, to, to make us ready to face the troubles of life and to, to build up our faith so that it never ends. It endures and perseveres even to the point of death. And Lord, we know that you have a crown of life in store for each and every one of us through Christ. Help us each and every one to know the forgiveness that you do have for us and the power that you have for us in our life and build an enduring faith, a firm faith in each and every heart here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.